And good morning, everyone. You say it is. Uh, it's it's good to be here. It's a pleasure to be here to celebrate uh, your your 29th anniversary as as a church. Before I get going, I'll just uh, just give you a brief overview of who it is who's who's speaking to you this morning. Um, so I'm I'll just a, a little bit of my story. I became a Christian when I was 26. It was a a life changing experience uh, for me, and uh, such an impact. I, I felt that God was calling me to do something beyond simply being saved, um, which is pretty good in and of itself, but to, to commit my life to serving him in some way, shape or form. Not sure what that was, but two years later I found myself at Bible college and two years after that I found myself uh, serving in a, in a small church as the, as the interim pastor. I did that for a year over in Berwick and then I, I was called to, to what was then Blackburn North, became New Hope, and I was at New Hope for 10 and a half years and ended up uh, doing most of the jobs there and, and eventually became the senior associate pastor. Then went on to Essendon Baptist. I was at Essendon Baptist for about five years. And for over six years now, I've been the director of mission and ministries at the Baptist Union of, of Victoria um, and, and leading the team there. I'm married with my wife, Darren, and I have a son, uh, Matt, who's 19, and he's studying musical theatre in Ballarat. So that's a little bit about me, so you know who it is who's speaking to you. But it is great to be here, and this is, in, in fact, my, in my six years of, or just over six years at the Baptist Union, it's my first time I've spoken here at, at Kilsyfe South. Many of uh, the, the team members, uh, David, uh, Jonathan Stark, others have spoke, spoken here. This is my, my, my first time. But I've heard lots about this church over the years, uh, certainly um, from, from Graeme Nielsen. I had a good friendship with Graeme, and, and he would tell me all about the church, and I'd learn a lot about this church from him. Tim, uh, Tim, I've known him for a few years, and, and uh, I've learned a bit about this church from him. He's now with us, uh, helping us out for a little bit. Uh, David, my colleague, uh, worship, worships here, and others. Um, I've heard a little bit about this church. I visited the church during the building process, and, uh, and it's great to see the final, final product. And uh, as well as hearing about the church, looking on your website, I, know, I, I've just, I figure that I know some things about your church and what are the important things to this church. And one thing that, I, that comes through loud and clear from all the people I've spoken to, from everything that I've read, is that this church values pastoral care. This church values caring for one another and having a strong community amongst one another. In fact, smack bang in the, mission, in, your, in the middle of your mission statements is this emphasis on caring for people. And I think that is fantastic. Caring for people is part of the, the DNA of this church, the foundations of this church over the last 29 years. And I want to encourage you as you turn over a page in your story now, moving into the, uh, this new facility, new pastor, all those types of things. I want to encourage you to build on that foundation, to, to continue to uh, strengthen uh, the church through your care and your love for one another and building this strong sense of, of community. And today I want to talk about that. And in particular, though, I want to talk about carrying one another's loads bearing each other's burdens. And I think I want to talk about these things because I think they're absolutely essential for building a strong, healthy faith community. In fact, these, this caring for one another, building strong community, carrying one another's loads is absolutely essential for the mission of the church. I believe the mission of the church is simply to continue with advancing Jesus' mission. 
And of course, um, my understanding of Jesus' mission is that Jesus came to announce and to usher in the kingdom of God. And you know, this concept of the kingdom of God is something that the, 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 the Jews of the first century were, uh, was really important for them. They were longing for, this, for the kingdom to come. And they were in particular want, wanting and believed that a Messiah would come, a Christ-like figure would come and usher in the kingdom. And Jesus said, and we find it in, in the beginning of Mass that I am that king. I am the one I'm going to bring in the kingdom. And they were very, very excited about this. But soon their excitement would dissipate a little bit because they had an idea, an expectation, a hope that the Messiah, the king, would bring in some kind of sort of mighty military force to boot out the oppressors, in particular the Romans in the first century, that, that this Messiah would set them up as, a, as one of the great nations like they used to be in the time of King David, that this Messiah would, would you know, give them their political and financial autonomy as, as, as a nation. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't talk about you know, fighting the Romans. He doesn't talk about setting up this, this mighty, sovereign, powerful, auto- autonomous nation. Rather, he talks about the kingdom of God in very, very different, different ways. He disappoints the people because he talks about the kingdom in bringing about incredible changes to the value system of the world and indeed even their religious system. He talks about the first being last and the last being first. He talks about servants being raised up and earthly kings being brought down low. He talks about a kingdom of inclusion where all the social, political, national and religious boundaries are removed. A kingdom of inclusion, of acceptance, of grace, of a new way of life, a new agenda for life. He talks about a great reversal. Jesus talks more about the idea of shalom, if you like, this, this sense of welfare for the city, this sense of contentment, the presence of God, than he does about kicking out the Roman oppressors. And so when you think about this vision of Jesus, of a great reversal for this world, you see it's a lofty, lofty vision. But it's a vision that I believe today that all Christians, especially Baptists, should be advancing. We should be passionate about it. Advancing the kingdom of God is, is at the heart, it's the core request of the most prayed prayer in the world, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. The vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus has, that has been passed on to us, is good news. It is good news because it impacts and changes people's lives today. It is a message that, that says there is hope for the hopeless There is forgiveness for the fallen. There is justice where there is injustice, and there's peace to be found in the midst of conflict. That is good news. Good news for you, good news for me, good news for our neighbours and all of the society and, and the communities in which we live. But there's a catch. There's a catch. See, advancing the kingdom of God, seeking to fulfill Jesus' vision for this world, is not something we can do by ourselves or in our own strength. It's something that we do together in, through our community, the church. Now, if that is true, then there's lots and lots of implications for us as the church. And fortunately for you, I don't have time to unpack all of those implications. But one of them is this. It means that we have to actually get our act together in the local church. If we are not living out kingdom values in our own church then there is very, very little hope of us advancing these values in the broader society, in the world in which we live. So we have to build strong local church communities 
where we're living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, and displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our life and our community together. The Apostle Paul talks about these things in Galatians chapter 5. And and as he talks about these things in Galatians chapter 5, he's setting up his practical teaching on these things in Galatians chapter 6. That's the passage we're going to look at here today. So if you want to open up your Bibles, you follow through as I unpack um, the, the, the principles of that passage. But basically Paul says that if we are in tune with the Spirit... In our, in our church community, we will carry one another's loads, we will be willing to correct and forgive one another, to care for one another, to meet one another's needs, and to never grow weary of doing good for each other. Walking in step with the Spirit is characterised by being part of a church community where we are intimately involved in one another's lives, helping each other to grow to maturity in faith, and pointing out the blind spots that we each have, and lifting the loads that other people in our community can't actually bear themselves. It means being mutually accountable to one another and personally responsible for our own actions towards each other. So with that in mind, what does Paul say about carrying each other's loads in Galatians chapter 6? Well, firstly, he says, he says, we just put on the next slide there, Dawn. He says, brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's what he says. Now, what Paul has here, what we have here is a hypothetical situation. We have a brother or a sister, a fellow Christian, somebody else in the community who has been caught red-handed in sin. What type of sin was this person caught in? Well, we don't know. It doesn't say. Paul uh, doesn't, doesn't tell us. Maybe it was a sexual sin. Maybe it was gossip. Maybe somebody was stealing something. We don't know. And it doesn't seem to really matter. What matters is our, the reaction, our response to the person who's been caught in sin. Remember the story in John chapter 8 where there's a woman caught in adultery. Remember that? There's that story. What happens is there's a woman caught in adultery and she's been caught red-handed in adultery by the religious leaders. And so the religious leaders get this woman and they, they bring her out. They bring her out into the public square where Jesus was. And the scripture tells us they were trying to trap Jesus out. They were trying to find something against Jesus. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. And the law of Moses says we should stone her to death. What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus is drawing on the ground. He's doing some, something pretty funny there. He doesn't sort of say much. Then he eventually says, well, those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And then in the rest of the story, as it unfolds, we, we hear that one by one, starting with the oldest and the wisest, they drop their stones and they walk away. And at the end of it, Jesus is left with this woman by himself with her. He says, is there nobody here to condemn you? Nor do I. Go and sin no more. In that story, Jesus illustrates the point that Paul wants to make in our passage. A a spiritual person, a man or a woman who is in step with the Spirit, who finds a, a member of the family, a brother or sister, caught in sin, will not publicly humiliate that person, will not judge them, will not criticize them, will not gossip about them. Rather, they grasp the concept of grace And they will seek to restore that person to wholeness, back into faith, back into the community life of that that society. To restore something 
is to make it right and bring it back to its former condition. To restore a broken bone is to set that bone and to to let it heal so it looks and it functions as if it's never been broken before. To restore a person who's been trapped in sin, burdened by the weight of judgment and condemnation, is to come alongside that person and lift them up. To nurture them back into spiritual maturity so that they can begin once again to walk in the spirit and serve God's kingdom purposes. God himself, God himself is in the, restoration period, um, in the restoration business. Look at what he says here in, in Ezekiel. This is God, God speaking. He says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I'll strengthen the weak. And so since God works to bring people to wholeness, to restore people, those of us who walk with the Lord, who claim to be his disciples, his followers. We should seek ways to help others as well. In the story of Cain and Abel, just after Cain had killed his brother, we, we hear that God comes along and he, he asks him, he says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain's response is, I don't know. What's that got to do with me? You know, am I my brother's keeper? And God's answer to Cain is the same answer he would give to each and every one of us. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We have a responsibility towards one another. We're to care for one another, to look after one another, to restore one another, to lift one another up. Of course, the big question is, how do we do this? How do we restore a broken brother or sister? Well, Paul says the way we do it is gently and with humility. You see, broken friends need spiritual friends to come alongside them in order to mend them. This process needs to be done with gentleness and kindness. In other words, as we do it, we need to portray the fruit of the Spirit. I'd just like you to imagine that you're, you're riding along on a bike. Maybe some of you haven't ridden a bike for a long, long time, but just imagine that you're riding along on a bike and you're riding down the bike path, but unbeknown to you, there's a rock in the middle of the bike path and you hit the front wheel hits it and bang, you fall off. And you land on your arm, and you, 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 it's really, really painful. You get up, and your arm's at right angles, and clearly you realize that you've broken your arm. And you say, right, I need to go to the hospital. I need to go to doctors, and I need to get them to fix it. And so just imagine this scene. You walk into the hospital, and you say to whoever there who greets you, the admin person or a nurse or someone, you say, hey, look, I'm pretty sure I've broken my arm. It's sort of hanging off over here, and it's really, really painful. Now, what would you be thinking, and what would you say if that person says, okay, no worries, and then just grabbed your arm and said, come over here. Let's get that x-rayed first because we need to sort of make, understand what sort of break it is. And then they took the x-ray and said, yep, that is definitely broken. Come over here. And just plonked your arm onto the table and said, right, now we need to set it. And then they went about brutally manipulating your arm without any painkiller or anything just so that they could sort of get it right and then sit you. Now, what would you be thinking? What would you be saying? I know what I'd be thinking, and I know what I'd be saying, and I would have to repent afterwards, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, when a friend is down and out, don't announce it to the world. Don't try and ruin that person's reputation. Because, you know, that's how it would feel. Like you're ripping their arm apart when it's half broken. Instead, you quietly build them up. 
tenderly journey with them to restoration. If this church is going to be a healthy church, if this church is going to fulfill its mission of caring for people, advance God's kingdom, if you're truly, truly serious about loving God and worshipping God and sharing faith and growing as Christians, serving the world, you need to restore the broken in your midst. But in addition to that, we also need to be a church that is willing to lend a hand, to relieve people's burdens, to do a little bit of heavy lifting in one another's lives. Let's look at this next slide. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word carry in this verse means to remove or lift an overwhelming load. A burden is like a huge, huge boulder weighing someone down as they stagger through the journey of life. This may represent a a number of things. It could be a a, a sin that somebody is trapped in. Maybe it's a sickness, a sudden tragedy, a personal loss, financial difficulty, broken dreams, failed marriage, family problems, career setbacks, or the death of a loved one. could be anything. Again, Paul doesn't seem to focus on what the burden is or where it comes from. It doesn't seem to matter. What matters is that when we see a brother or a sister who is staggering under a heavy load, we should drop what we're doing, roll up our sleeves, and help that person bear the load they can't carry by themselves. Instead of judging them, we're to lend a hand by doing whatever we can for as long as we can. And you know, it's not always something big. Sometimes we think, oh, how can I get involved in that person's life? I just don't have the time. It's not always something that big. How many people here, I've already done the bike sort of thing, but how many people here have ever been to a gym? Just lift your hand, have you ever been to a gym? Okay, quite a few. The rest of you have never been to a gym, you've probably seen it on TV or in a magazine that people exercise and do things, right? I'm going to explain to you something what happens at a gym. There's different types of, people work out differently in different ways at at gyms. But there's some people like to lift heavy weights, right? Usually the people who want to get really big, they lift heavy weights. And the idea of lifting heavy weights is that you lift the heavy weight to the point of exhaustion so that you break down sort of all the muscle fibres and that so it can sort of uh, heal again and, and grow, grow bigger. So that's the idea. Now to do that, you've got to lift heavy, heavy weights to the point that you're almost going to drop them. The problem is it's quite a dangerous thing to do because if you drop a heavy weight, be that above your shoulders, onto your, onto your back or something, or, or if you're doing a bench press and you drop it on your chest, you're going to do some serious damage to yourself. And so they've, they've got this system that tends to work in gyms when you, when you lift up heavy weights. And they have another person to come alongside and assist them. And that person's called a spotter, right? And the idea of the spotter is that they don't lift all the weight. But when the person, say they're on the bench press and they're pushing away, they do three, four, five, they're starting to struggle. What the spotter does, comes along and just puts their hands underneath the bar, doesn't take a lot of the weight, and just slightly helps them lift it up. And they might do one or two more repetitions, and then they're struggling again, then they help them a little bit more to put it back on the rack. And they do the exercise without harming themselves and can do a little bit more. We need to understand that principle in the church. We need, to, we need to grapple with this because carrying each other's lives is not about taking all the weight. It's something, it's quite simple. Maybe grabbing a coffee with someone, offering a listening ear, sharing a meal, 
making time to pray with people, simple words of encouragement. There's lots and lots of things we can do to be a spotter for, for one another as we help people carry the loads that, that are tearing them apart, that are weighing them down. When we help the hurting, Paul says we are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is summed up in John 13, um, the next verse there. And it says, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, just washed their feet, he's going to his death, he knows that. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. The command to love one another occurs around 100 times in the New Testament, 24 different verses. You can categorize them into you know, love for unity, love just for, for love's sake, uh, love uh, in humility and to love a loving attitude. But if you put them all together, really what they're, what, what, what they're saying is we need to be generous towards one another with our life and with all that we have. In other words, when we see a brother or sister who has been rocked by the reality of life, crushed by the weight of this world, we should ask ourselves a simple question. How can I help? What can I do to relieve the load? How can I spot for that person? What does love in action look like in this situation? Now, just a little aside. In verse 5, it says something just a little bit strange. You might think, well, that's a bit contradictory. It says, each one should carry their own load. Now, what we need to understand the difference between verse 2 and 5. In verse 2, it refers to an overwhelming burden that can't be carried by ourselves. It's something that sort of, sort of weighs us down. The word load in verse 5 describes something more like a, a, back, a backpack that someone's carrying around, a soldier's backpack or a kid's backpack. It's something small and light enough to carry around, and everyone can carry their own. It's the difference between a backpack with someone's lunch in it and maybe their laptop and the backpack that is loaded up with, with, with boulders. There's a difference in what they're saying here. And so what, what Paul is saying, we're to bear that which is too heavy for others to handle by themselves, but we cannot carry someone else's responsibility. We're not to be doormats and just do everything for people so they, they don't do anything for themselves. The spotter, as I said before, when they stand behind the person with the weight, doesn't take all the weight. Imagine if they try and lift up all that weight, they're going to break their back. They're going to hurt themselves, injure themselves. No, no, they just take the weight that they need to take. We're called to help each other with the big burdens in life, but there are personally responsibilities that each of us must bear. And we're not to lean into each other just for those small things, but for those areas in our life in which we need. And thirdly, if going to be a healthy church, going to truly care for people, be a force for change in the world and advance God's kingdom, need to make sure that we're willing to do, as we, when we, that while we're doing all this restoring and all this low carrying, that we don't actually get carried away with ourselves at the same time. Look at these couple of verses here. I'm just going to turn here because, uh, and just read a bit. It says, Brothers and sisters, this is start here. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But, Paul says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And then in verse 4 and 5, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. 
Paul is basically saying the issue of pride has a habit of sneaking up on us even when we were seeking to care and carry one another's loads. Pride can manifest itself in many and varied ways. The obvious way is that it, it comes to, in the form of judgment and condemnation and criticism and gossip. When we find a brother or sister in sin, it's easy to, to take the high moral ground like the religious leaders in John 8 and instead of restoring or helping people, we revert to ridicule, mock, mocking, uh, humiliation. That's pride. That's pride. We know that. It's easy to see. It's easy to know. We can point it out. But then there's the pride of the person that is willing and does restore and is more than willing to, to lend a hand when somebody needs to be spotted but does so with an air of superiority and an attitude of arrogance. Oh, I'm so glad it's them and not me. Oh, the poor thing. Of course, these people are more than happy to, to lend a hand, more than happy to let everybody know how helpful they've been in that situation. Well, friends, I want to suggest to you that's pride too. See, pride compares Pride elevates self. Pride doesn't understand grace. Pride destroys relationships and it ultimately destroys community. It's unhealthy, it's unhelpful, and it's unspiritual. And if we are ever, ever seduced by it, we would do well to repent from that behavior, to turn from pride to humility, to turn from self-righteousness to the law of Christ. That's why Paul says to test our actions and examine our behaviors and our motives. You know, I am personally glad that Jesus is in the restoration business. I'm glad that God has not given up on broken people. I'm glad that in the times in my life when I've fallen short of God's standard, and there have been plenty of those times, I'm glad that in the times when I've been down and out, that God has not given up on me, that I've had friends, godly people, to come alongside me to help carry my load, to spot for me in my life. I'm glad that God wants to bring a great reversal to our damaged world. And I am glad that Jesus invites us to share in this vision, this mission to advance his kingdom, his reign, his rule, his way in this, in this world. I'm glad that the church, that this church, in its history has been serious about building community, caring for one another, and extending that care beyond the walls of the church. I'm glad that God, God's people continue to seek to walk in the Spirit. And that is fantastic. We need to celebrate the church, the history of the church, and so many great people who have stood for these things over the years. The question we now, the church of this day and tomorrow, need to ask ourselves is this, and there's many of them, are we willing to, to partner with Jesus to take up his invitation to join him in his restoration plan? Are we serious about joining in with his vision to bring a great reversal? Are we willing to be generous, to be truly, truly generous with our life and our thoughts and our hearts and our words? Are we willing to swallow our pride and restore the broken, to lend a hand, to spot for those who cannot bear the weight of life by themselves? Are we willing to make sacrifices for one another, to love one another as Christ commands us to do. 
You see, our answers to these questions, not only through our words, not only through our songs, but through our actions, through the way we live around, through our interactions, will determine the authenticity and the health of our church community. But just imagine with me, just imagine with me, the implications for not only this church, but for your families, your friends, the broader community, society, in fact, our state, our nation. Just imagine the implications if we truly live this stuff out. The church today lived this stuff out in our communities, in our relationships with one another. I can tell you what would happen. Lives would be restored. Those people who are broken, who are down, who are struggling, who may have failed, they would be restored, rebuilt, renewed in many and wonderful ways. Relationships would be mended. Marriages would be saved. Story after story of gratitude would be told, of God's work in people's lives in community. And you know what? There would be a ripple effect. If this was happening in the church and you were known by your love for one another and your strong sense of community, there would be a ripple effect. People would say, what is going on with those people and in that place and with that community? What is going on? Those people are different. I want a piece of what they've got. You see, there would be a ripple effect and the kingdom of God would be advanced. Jesus' name would be proclaimed and the world would be a different place and we would see this reversal take place. You see, that's our challenge. That's our challenge. And it's your challenge here at Kilside South. Build on the foundations of a great history. Build on the foundations of a church that has cared and loved one another for 29 years. Maybe not perfect. Maybe not perfectly. But build on those foundations and as you turn the page in the next chapter to make it a priority, to make it a priority, to advance God's kingdom through your love for one another by carrying one another's loads, restoring those who are broken, spotting for those who can't carry the load on themselves and keeping ourselves humble and Jesus-focused in the midst of that. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you for this church. We do thank you for the amazing history and the heritage of this place. For the pioneers who planted the place, the church, the people, the community. For the pastors who nurtured the faith. And for everybody involved, Lord, who's built into one another, each other's lives. I do pray for the next stage of the journey. We don't know what it looks like, what shape it will take, who will come, who will stay. But we do know, Lord, that there is a calling for this church to love one another as you loved us, to restore those who are struggling, to lift the burden of those who are weighed down, and to rejoice in your love and your goodness and your grace. So be with this church. Empower them to be the people you've called them to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.